Welcome to In Conversation, a podcast from Black and Bookish. I'm your host, Antoinette Scully. Each week, I interview Black authors and creators about their work and inspirations, all at the intersection of Black literary arts. This episode features Crystal Swain Bates, founder of Goldis Carrot Publishing and author of several children's books, including Big Hair Don't Care and Super Mommy, a super single mommy tale. Crystal is on a mission to positively reshape the way children of color all over the world see themselves. Fed up with the lack of Black children's books on the market, Crystal founded Goldis Carrot Publishing in order to address the lack of diversity in children's books. In this episode, we'll cover several key topics, including the importance of representation for Black kids, the process of finding an illustrator whose work fits your vision, roadblocks in the publishing industry for kid-lit authors, our shared love of Dan Brown and Christopher Pike, and lots more. So sit back and enjoy. All right. So it's really laid back, right? Like I'm kind of laid back, so I'm not going to like drill you or anything. I sort of just want to get to know you and see... Um, your writing style and your process and you know what what makes you uniquely you right it's true so I would love to know like where are you located and what have you been doing during this pandemic is a really big question right wow pandemic uh so <laughs> so I live in Atlanta Georgia um and I love to travel so currently I'm in South Africa. I've been here for um, about a week and a half. Just checked into a little apartment today. Uh, <laughs> got all situated. But uh, what I will say is that for people who love to travel, um, you know, I had this thing. I was like, check on your traveling friends because, you know, being trapped and not able to go anywhere. Um, for me, I would say that was one of the hardest things about the pandemic um, was just being able not able to go anywhere did it give you any time to work on your writing unfortunately not unfortunately not so I used to and I, I had to stop it at the end of 2020 um I used to actually publish other people so I would they would come to me with their manuscript they would pay for my service I would do everything and you know deliver to them the finished product and I had to end up stopping that because it I don't know 2020 was so stressful and I felt like it was also stressful if you had clients and I had a lot more clients because I think other people were like, you know what, I'm going to sit down now and finally write that book and get it published. So I had so many people coming to me. Uh, I had so many clients and I ended up getting very overworked, stressed out. And I think, you know, that's part of the reason I'm so excited to just be able to kind of leave home and get a breather, um, reset <laughs> for 2021. Yeah. But I, I'm hoping that while I'm here, I'll be able to work on some writing. Okay. So you mentioned that you live in Atlanta. Um, is that where you're from? Is that where you grew up? Um, Born and childhood. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I grew up in Atlanta. Um, I left Atlanta at 17 for college. And then after college, I ended up teaching English in France. I ended up moving to D.C. Um, I've lived overseas. So I've kind of done a lot of things. But then I eventually said, OK. And so that's that's when I ended up going back home to Atlanta um, around 2013. And does uh, your upbringing in Atlanta and also your traveling, does that um, does that influence the kind of literature that you're writing? Definitely. How, how does it influence the kind of literature you're writing? <laughs> well, for one thing, 
what I've been able to, and it changes every year. So what I've been able to see just from traveling the world is, you know, that we have kids that are all over the world who sometimes we tend to think of our issues um, in terms of the U.S. and not think of the worldwide issues. Right. And so one of the reasons I started writing my books in the first place was because I wanted black kids to be able to see themselves represented in books. And the more I travel, the more I realize that it's not just American kids, it's kids, you have kids, the African diaspora all over the world, and they also need to see these books. And so as a good example of that, I did an international book tour. I read at the U.S. Embassy in Ghana, and I'm reading my book, Super Mommy, and I'm showing the kids, you know, I'm trying to get them to engage with me. They're really little. I'm trying to get them to engage. Um, <laughs> And so I took one of the pages where the character's eating and I said, uh, what do you eat? What kind of things do you like? Now, in the picture, it was like mashed potatoes, you know, chicken and some other things. And so they weren't really giving me anything. And I was like, Fufu? It, could this be Fufu? I don't even really know what Fufu looks like, but I'm, you know, I'm trying to make... <laughs> Think about local foods. And so they started naming things. They got excited. They started naming things that they eat. And I was like, man, you know what? I can literally take this book um, and redo it and give it, you know, uh, something if I wanted to be for Ghana, you know, local foods, um, had get the book done in translation. Um, and I can do that for so many other places. So for me, that's what's helpful is that it really opens my eyes to being able to to actually do works in translation. And so my book, Big Hair Don't Care, uh, I have that book in English. It's in French. It wasn't German, but that was a bad translation. So <laughs> I have to put that one out later. So that's a, that's a really good transition because I have a question about that. So I read Big Hair Don't Care and I was thinking like even as an adult, right, like I love wearing my hair out. I love, um, you know, don't stand behind me because you're not going to be able to see I'm a short person. But, <laughs> you know, if I'm sitting down somewhere, you know, people behind me are going to have to navigate around the Afro. And so as an adult, I wonder, are you when you're writing children's literature, are you thinking, OK, I'm going to write this for kids, but I'm also trying to reel in adults so that there's inclusivity in that space as well? You know, what's interesting is that I don't think about adults when I'm writing for kids, but I think that just the topics that I write about, um, a lot of them are based on self-esteem and self-confidence. And these are themes that even as adults, we, we need and we don't realize. Um, I have a coloring book called Color My Fro, and this is for, it's for anyone, um, all ages, right? And so I have kids that love it. But then I have a lot of adult women who love it. And they're like, I love seeing myself in these characters. You know, I have characters that are teachers and I don't know, like dancers and all sorts of things. And it's just interesting how you don't really realize until you see it in real life that, man, I didn't realize that I had a lack in my childhood of seeing characters look like me. But now that I see these books, I, you know, I can actually relate to some of the stuff. Now, of course, since I'm writing as an adult writer, uh, I'm sure my age does play, you know, into <laughs> 
some of the things. So although I try to make it very kid friendly, very fun, um, I am writing from from my own personal life experiences. So I have when my hair is not straightened, I have natural hair and it blocks just like you said, it's black people. It is, you know, it, I can definitely write that story and write it in a way that a child could understand it realize that they also have some similar situations and then use the story to take pride in their hair in the first place. So, but I think it's really interesting that you said that even as an adult, you found, um, you know, that you had some, some takeaways from it. (laughs) Yeah. And I, you know, besides the inspiration of your own life, do you take inspiration from other things to write your stories? Yes. So Big Hair Don't Care, I actually wrote because so many young girls, young black girls, getting kicked out of school, getting suspended, getting in trouble for wearing their hair the way it naturally grows out of their head. And there were so many instances of that. And I was just taken aback, like, wow, this is what sort of message are we sending? And I started thinking about literature and thinking about kids lit. And, you know, other kids, kids that are being teased about their hair, um, part of the reason is because other kids have never seen characters, you know, they're, they've never been exposed in their real lives or in their their book reading lives. Right. To someone who looks different, to someone who is brown, to someone who wears braids or has an afro. And by that same token, you don't have or you didn't have a lot of kids, black kids who are able to see themselves in books to see that. Oh, wow. Her hair looks like mine. His hair is like mine, which means it's OK. And. I really feel like that invisibility in kids' books, it, it can make a child feel you know, less than, like something's wrong with them, but it can also make another child feel like there's also something wrong with that child, you know? So I, I really started writing, and especially Big Hair Don't Care, just because I wanted little girls to be able to look at that book, read it, and see that there is a character in the book, her hair is different in the way that mine is different. And although it gets her into these little situations and she has these experiences because of it, she's happy with it. She she embraces it. And that, that makes me feel like I can embrace it. And that's been the content of the reviews I've been getting is parents will say, my daughter was so self-conscious. She was getting teased at school about her hair. Um, now she tells kids big hair don't care when they laugh at her. So it's, that's to me, that's very powerful. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, being a children's book author, are you doing the illustrations? Or are you working with another illustrator? So I do hire I definitely hire out. Yeah, there's no way you would you we wouldn't be talking today if I had done the illustrations myself. (laughs) (laughs) To talk a little bit about the process of finding an illustrator that fits the feeling and the inspiration that you want to convey through your writing. Yeah, that's actually uh, one of the hardest things. That's been one of the hardest parts of the journey. Now, I started publishing children's books in 2013. So at this point, I've had eight years to get it all figured out. But that was the the very first thing that I encountered as a roadblock. So back in 2007, I wrote a book, that same book I mentioned, Super Mommy. I wrote this book for my mom and wanted to surprise her with it. Uh, I went on Craigslist, don't judge me. I went on Craigslist searching for an illustrator for like 200 books. Um, you know, I was, I was young, uh, you know, I, 
limited budget, <laughs> very limited budget. And he was a young black uh, artist. And when he drew the, the sketches, I was very surprised to see that the characters, although, you know, I told him what they were supposed to look like, black characters, every single one of the characters looked like a white boy. Every single one. And when I looked very closely at the way they were drawn, because I could see their sketches, so I could see the sketch marks. You know, I could see he took, I don't know, have you ever taken like an illustration class where they teach you, you know, draw the little cross in the face? Yeah, and it's very I- specific. Uh, I'm going to say normal, but normal is not what I'm looking for. Standard. It's very standard. Yes, it's very standard. Um, and I, I call it Eurocentric. Uh, so, Every single character I could see that he had drawn using what he learned in school. And they look nothing like not a black girl, not a black boy. They look like they all look like white boys. And I couldn't believe it. And I was just at that point. I mean, I wasted money because I already paid him. Um, But that's when I realized, okay, this is going to be a problem. And I ended up putting all of my writing projects on hold. Because then I started grad school and, you know, then I went to work. You know what I mean? So, like, I didn't even have time at that point to focus on it. But when I circled back, I said, "Okay, I'm going to really have to take some time to find a good illustrator and an illustrator who is able to draw more diverse characters. And so I went online. Luckily, there are so many sites Um, at the time. I think it was called Elance. Um, It's Upwork now. But I went on there and I just, you know put out an, a job notice um, saying that I was looking for illustrators who could draw diverse characters. Um, and I ended up having, that's kind of my process now, is I'm going to have you draw one illustration that I will pay you for. I'll tell you what I want that character to look like. And that gives me a really good feel for whether or not they'll be able to bring the character to life. And what I also do is I start out with character design so that before any pages are ever drawn, let's get the character right. Because I have a very specific way that I like the characters to look. Some people say they look like me, uh, which is not intentional, but I typically, although all black kids don't look like this, but whatever, I typically give my characters a full, a full nose. Sometimes in children's books, they'll have a little button nose, you know, and I just, I wanted to have that full nose. I wanted to have fuller lips. Um, I want the hairstyles to be kind of representative of what I would typically see. So whether it's, you know, Afro, Afro puffs, braids, pigtails, but there's just the look that I want the characters to have. And the illustration portion of the process is unfortunately where I see a lot of other children's book authors get stuck and they end up never publishing or they just hire the first person that they find. And now the illustrations look really bad. So that's definitely um, an area that I think people will encounter roadblocks with. But if you kind of use my process, um, you'll end up finding someone that can work for you. And what are some other um, roadblocks, instances, issues that you come across in publishing in general? Well, there are a lot. Um, Depending on what type of book you're writing, you can. And so and when I when I'm gathering some of these uh, examples, I have a, a Facebook group of authors or aspiring authors. And so a lot of them will you know, come to me with these questions and issues. And I mean, I've had people that have been very self-conscious about if they're publishing a book and it's meant to have a black character, they are afraid to put the character on the cover. 
So they're like, can I just put the book out? The book is about the tooth fairy. I'm just going to put the tooth fairy on the front. I'm not going to put the main character. Is that okay? And I'm, I'm doing that because I don't want to limit the reach of my book. Um, so that's one of the things that depending on what type of books you write, you can end up feeling like you have to whitewash your, your books or um, characters. Another thing that I've run into is just visibility. I feel like visibility is one of the biggest issues um, for Black authors, for a lot of Black authors, because it's it can be very hard to find us um, unless you are in a bookstore where, of course, they put our books in the African-American section, uh, <laughs> which I, I'm, I'm against that. <laughs> I don't, I, would, I don't like that the bookshelves are segregated. I definitely think that we should be, you know, mixed in by genre like everyone else. And that greatly impacts our visibility because now the only people that can find our books are people that navigate over to the African-American section. And most people aren't doing that. Several issues. And one of the reasons that I even started my group in the first place is just because I feel like it's so important for people to be aware of authors who are actually successful. You hear so many horror stories about people who publish starving artists, you know, who only sold 12 copies of their books. The rest are in their garage. And I think it's so important for people to know that you can publish, you can publish successfully and you can be a full time author without the struggle. So, you know, those are some of the things is just having the books be visible and having successful authors be visible as well. Yeah. Do you find that having the group has pushed more and more people to feel confident in their publishing process? I get a lot of questions about best next steps and, um, you know, not just putting Black people on the covers, but feeling confident that even if they go through everything perfectly, right, we still get, uh, we're over here, (laughs) you know, and, so I'm wondering how your group has in, engaged with people in a way that they feel more confident to publish as well. So, yes, definitely. And so what's happened is inside of my group, I have a lot of people. The way I typically get people in is through Facebook ads because um, I teach these free you know, courses to try to teach people like, hey, you can write a book, any kind of book. Right. And I've had people join who never thought that they could write a book, but they saw that and they it kind of, hmm, I see this black girl doing this. I can, I'm, I'm kind of interested. I see looks like me and she's talking about something I wouldn't be interested in. They joined the group, don't know where to start, what to even write about. And within a few months, they've published a book. And what happens is they publish their book. They'll ask questions along the way. So you get to kind of witness their journey as they deal with the, the self-confidence. Is this good enough? How, what should I name it? How do I find an illustrator? They go through the whole process and you see it. And then they finally publish their book. And when they post it in the group, other people who have been kind of sitting back and watching feel so inspired to publish theirs because they're not just seeing me talking about my books. You know, you see somebody, you're like, oh, you're already doing doing it well. You know, you might have some secret, you know, magic powers. But when you see someone who started out just like you without even an idea and four or five months later, they have a book out. It really sparks uh, and motivates other people to do the same. And I know this because they tell us like <laughs> they people will literally say, I watched y'all. Um, everyone else dropped their wins and talk about how they published their book, talk about the, these interviews they're doing, the bookstore readings and signings. And that encouraged me to do the same. So it's 
for me, it's it's the exact reason that I created this. I wanted to have a community where people could ask their questions, get answers in a supportive place because I don't have any friends who are authors. When I started doing this, I had no one I could ask. And even now, a lot of the stuff I'm doing, I have to just figure it out, learn how to do it, you know, analyze, optimize, right? I've had to figure out marketing, the best way to market using new strategies and not using the old school strategies that a lot of the traditional publishers are using. So confidence is definitely a big thing. But the more you have people that are able to get into a supportive community and and see other people doing what they want to do and know that they can also ask questions and get support, it really helps them out. You know, they say it takes a village. And I guess it does even when you're writing a book. Has this inspired your process of writing, um, facilitating this group? Hmm. You know what it has done is now I've decided that I need to be writing books um, that are actually related to the publishing process itself. You know, I focused a lot on writing my children's books and I've taught so many courses to my group. And I'm like, you know, I really need to start writing books to teach people the process so that people who aren't in the group don't, you know, aren't aware of it. They can find the book online. Um, It's really made me think bigger about some of the things that I can do for sure. Yeah, I totally see that as having space to uh, broaden your reach a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's just interesting because, you know, being able to see how fast these authors are moving from, from zero, like from no idea to published book, how fast they're able to move with a community, it, to me, it's very powerful. And I feel like for any industry that you're in, Uh, or any genre that you write in, you can really go faster and go further if you have some sort of a a community around you. How can people who are not within publishing and not even wanting to write books, but maybe even just readers, right? How can readers become more engaged in the diversifying of the publishing process? So one of the things readers can do is one, just make sure that they're actually, you know, buying our books um, and reviewing those books and shouting those books out. (laughs) So uh, I saw a really nice meme the other day and I said, I need to use, you know, some of the same text and make it about books because it's like, how can you support authors? You know, you don't even have to always necessarily, if you don't want to buy the book or gift the book to someone, Um, You know, there's some other things you can do, but I definitely feel like one by buying and supporting and reviewing that helps spread the word because word of mouth goes so far Two, I would say requesting some of the books in your bookstores. You know, if you know you have a favorite author and you notice that your local bookstore doesn't carry the books by that author, go in there and talk to the manager and say, hey, I'm not sure if you know about this author, but here's the book. I love it. My child loves it. And I think it would be a great idea for you to get this in your bookstore. Little things like the littlest things and and something that's worked extremely well for me. And I'm so thankful for the parents who who love books is that they will take back when schools were open, uh, depending on where you're located, but they would take that book or have their child take one of my books to their school. 
And that's what, you know, they would read for that particular day. That would be story time, the story time book. And I don't know if pe- people are aware that you can take, you know, story time books for the kids to read, because now this exposes uh, the kids to more books. They can ask their parent about, I read this book called Big Care, Don't Care today. Um, the teachers Right. The media specialists in the school. Now you can get into the bookstore, um, the, the library at the school. So it's little things like that that are ways that might not sound big, but it's things that have happened for me. And it has really, really catapulted my book's visibility. And would you say that um, this includes the worldwide experience that you're having talking about putting books in libraries do you take some with you as you go from country to country um have you had more requests from other countries uh than just us for the same titles yes um so i someone today just posted a a picture of my book big here don't care in french on their ig i saw it today and i was like oh my goodness so It's funny because a lot of people don't even think about putting their books out in another language. But when I did, I did it and I did not market those books. They're not even on my website, but people have them because they're looking for them as well. So I try to when I travel, I try to pack all of my books with me. I'll take them to local bookstores, airport bookstores, um, and I'm trying to actually get better about making sure I follow up with these people to get the book. to get the books in there. But I travel with them. And right now what I'm doing is I'm exploring ways to actually get the books printed locally. So a few years ago, I had someone here in South Africa reach out to me and she wanted to, you know, be able to sell my books here. But it's can be a little bit harder to work with the bookstore that's overseas if you don't have a local printer. So that's actually one of the things that I'll be exploring while I'm here in South Africa so that I can find a local printer. Um, and that will make it so much easier for shipping, you know, distribution of the books without all of what it takes to do it from overseas. And you primarily write children's books, correct? Correct. And so you've talked about maybe wanting to push out of that genre into more instructional writing. Are there any adult novels in you, any adult long form nonfiction, poetry? What is, you know, do you run the gamut of all of these things in your everything, all of the above? So my actual (laughs) top two books that a lot of people don't even know about. So one of the books I wrote is under pen name. And it's like a health food book. So this is one of the first books that I wrote um, just to kind of see, like, how does this whole self-publishing thing work? Then my next book, which is also not a children's book, is called How to Go Natural Without Going Broke. And that's because I had just gone natural and everybody was buying up all these $30 hair products. And I was like, this is too expensive. It doesn't have to be all of that. So those are the first. So actually, you know, that's like an informational kind of and kind of fun with my personality in it. Um, Books that I've written. But now what I really want to do, I already have my idea for my adult fiction, a thriller, because I personally love to read thrillers. Um, And so my dream is to actually write a thriller. And I feel like I'm getting close to being able to start working on it now that I've kind of reclaimed some of my time from publishing clients. But I definitely want to do an adult thriller and I want to do the books to teach other people how to successfully publish their books and how to market their books. 
Um, and then eventually I would love to do a chapter book series for kids. And I want to do that because I grew up reading so much and I read so many series. I mean, I love Nancy Drew. I love mysteries. So I grew up reading Nancy Drew. I grew up reading the Babysitter's Club, you know, like a whole bunch of series. And I don't have explored um, what that market looks like now, but I just know that for me, that really impacted, I feel like my worldview, because as a kid or as a preteen, that was so much of what I was reading. Those characters became like real in my mind. And the thought of being able to write for that girl that was me is absolutely amazing. So I want to do all of it. (laughs) I want to know your writing process. I want to know what you do when you get up and you decide, okay, this is, we're going to put some words on a document today. (sighs) So I can't really write like that. Um, I can't just tell myself, okay, Crystal, right now you're going to write. But what I can do is when I'm working on a book, it's always like right here. So I'm always ready, you know, to, to like, all right, I want to, you know, put in, try to at least see if something pops into my head. So my process is weird to me because I write my titles first. So for all of the books that we just talked about that I want to do, uh, be it the book for writers, the thriller, the, all of that, I will have the title first. So I have titles that are already decided on for books that I haven't started yet. Um, So once I have that title, the title is what really um, leads me down that path. So I find that I write better when I'm not trying to write. So for example, if I'm washing the dishes, when I wash the dishes, <laughs> you know, or it, when you're doing household activity, like my mind just, it's kind of like, okay, I'm not on my phone. I'm not on the computer. And now my mind is just free as I just do this mundane thing. Right. And that is when a line um, or a phrase will pop into my head. And that is when I go and I, I go, you know, I, and I start to write. And there've been moments with my husband where, you know, when I was like very actively working on a book, where I get that idea. He already knows, like I get it. And I'm like, don't say it. Don't say a word. I have to get this on paper before I forget. Um, What will be interesting is once I start working on the longer books, especially the thriller, I'm not as worried about the, the teaching style books, but figuring out how to get into a a daily flow, um, how to really outline that because it's a different process from what I primarily write. So that's going to be something that will be very different for me. And if we do this again in two years, then you can ask me and I'm sure my answer will be different. (laughs) And so are you planning to publish that uh, book or your upcoming books through your same publishing uh, company? That's a good question. Um, that is a good question. Probably so, unless I created like a DBA. Um, that's a good question. Never even thought about that. But you're right. I mean, I might want to create a new um, branch, you know, of my, my publishing company so that I can keep the children's books under one and then my other books under another one. So I thank you for asking me that. <laughs> yeah, I do think it would be a good idea. And with your publishing company, I'm not quite sure if your book ideas came first or if your publishing idea came first. Can you kind of uh, walk me a little bit through the process of how you are this 
amazing author and you have this publishing company, you know, in your back pocket, like how did those two things uh, integrate with each other? It all started with a New Year's resolution. So I write New Year's resolutions with my friend every year. And my they're always like big, uh, some, some serious resolutions. Like a lot of people are like, I want to lose weight. I want to, I don't know what people say they want to do. But my things are, a lot of them are business related. And so um, in 2012, my resolutions were um, moved to Atlanta. I was living in Germany at the time. Moved to Atlanta. Um, start a publishing company, publish six books. Those were three of the things on my list. And so it, it was, to me, it was all a uh, part of the same thing. I knew that when I started publishing, I wanted to publish them under a publishing company and that that publishing company would be mine because what else would it go under? So that's, I literally started out with no books, uh, having, you know, written nothing. And I said, I'm going to create the company. Um, and start to publish. So I actually tell a lot of, a lot of us authors to do the same, to go ahead and, and think about their book as a business, because at the end of the day, that's what it is. If you're not thinking of your book as a business, um, you won't have all your stuff in order. So that helped me because, all right, great. I've got, you know, my business is set up, it's registered, you know, my company, all of the stuff that I needed to do was set up business, bank accounts, all of that stuff. And when it comes time to write things off, it, I'm running as a legit company, as a legit publishing company. And especially if you plan to publish more than one book. So that's kind of how it came to be. I just set this huge goal. And honestly, the reason I do it is because I feel like if I can, I could have easily said I want to publish one book in 2013. But I feel like when you set your goals really, really high, even if you just hit your target at 50%, you're still doing much better than where you would have been if you had set it, you know, at a normal goal. So that's why I like to set these crazy goals. And it really, once I started, I couldn't stop. Like I literally could not stop. And even now I don't, I'm actually a little disappointed that it's taking me a little longer now to publish like in between books, because when you come out the gate with six books in one year <laughs> and then you do, you know, three the next year or two the next year, you start to feel away like what I need to put more focus on my writing. And, and so that's why, as I mentioned, I've, you know, pulled away from some of the things that I was doing. Um, so that I could really focus more on putting out even more books. Because I, I love, for me, coming up with my book idea, sitting down, writing it, seeing it come to life. It's just like the funnest thing ever. I tell people I have the best job that I could possibly have because it's fun. <laughs> I have one final like, big question for you. And it's um, sort of the idea of you have obviously have been reading for a long time. You said you grew up reading book series. Um, and I want to know what author inspires you to write or to bring other authors along with you. Um, what is that person or people or books? What are those things? That's a great question. Um, and I don't even know if I have an answer for that, but I'm going to really dig deep. <laughs> I'm going to dig deep because, you know, sometimes you just do things and you don't realize why you're doing them. Um, you don't necessarily realize like, man, I was really influenced by that one thing or those two things. So if I have to think about it, the readers that I read growing up 
And then even as, you know, turning and becoming an adult, I can't say right now that I have a specific person, but what I will say is that it's just all of it. And I know that sounds super generic, but like everything that I read, I feel brought me to where I am now. Um, The fact that I just told you I want to write a thriller is because I loved to read, still do love to read thrillers. The fact that I mentioned Nancy Drew, I actually want to do, um, you know, as maybe a mystery series. A, A lot of the things that I read, literally, I didn't forget. And the storylines, the plots have influenced some of the things that I'm very interested in and a style of writing as well. Like for my thriller, I love Dan Brown. So for my thriller, I know that I want my thriller to be like in a style that I feel that I get from Dan Brown with like some of the shorter sentences and some of the uh, I don't know. It's just, it's a good question. And I, I, I don't know. I, I need to get a person though. I need to get a person. <laughs> you don't have to get a person. Some people are inspired by very specific people. Some people, like you said, it's, it's an, an experience. I be honest. I love Dan Brown too. I, as much, I love Dan Brown because in the same way that I love action movies, Dan Brown is in that category for me. So, and it's fun. It's, it, it's so far away from, the work that I'm doing that it's just. Yeah. And it's funny because um, I, I feel like some of the books that I've read as a kid. So I loved Christopher Pike as a kid. And again, I'm, I'm like, is these thriller books, right? Christopher Pike. Oh my God. I read all of the Christopher Pike. I love it. And I've never met anyone else who loves it as much as me. Yes. And I just, a couple of days ago, I told my husband, I said, man, there's this book. This Christopher Pike book, I was like, I have to get it again. I don't remember this title, but I know when I look through the list, I'll find it. I was like, I want to reread all of his books as an adult because I love them. And it's that. And again, that's why I want to write thrillers now is because I grew up loving those types of books where when you read them, it's like you're watching a movie in your head. It's like you're watching a movie and you determine what you think that character looks like. And then years later, you can still see it in your head. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I love Christopher Pike. Huge, huge Christopher Pike fan. Like I can see those awful covers in my mind, you know, of all of the random things. I know that when my age group was going through goosebumps, I was reading Fear Street, the older version, you know. So very few people. <laughs> I've met very few people who were into that. Um yeah. and it's and it's so funny because I think that um, as a Black literary consultant, people don't expect me to have that kind of history, even though those <laughs> are the books that everyone was reading. Right? <laughs> um, and I guess that you probably get the same thing when you go through and you're like, yeah, I really like Dan Brad. People are probably like, wait, what? <laughs> and that's the thing, like, I, I just felt so weird because I'm like, I feel pressure, you know, like I need to have you know, a, I need to have a black person that I can call out and say that I loved and I do have, you know, people that I love, but yeah, Christopher Pike was it for me. Um, and, and I, I really, I'm going to go back and read all of them, but I can see how, again, that book or that author, plus a lot of the other stuff I read has influenced, um, has really influenced just kind of what I want to do now. 
So in addition to the books, so I want to be, and I guess I'm going to need a pen name because I can't be Crystal Swain Bates, the children's book author and Crystal Swain Bates, the thriller author. And, you know, so I'll have to come up with a new pen name um, for those. That is amazing. I'm, I'm so happy that you took some time out of your schedule to chat with me today. This is uh, amazing. I'm very glad that you were able to have me on. Um, I really appreciate it. I love to talk. I love talking books. You know, I love talking books, um, publishing, the state of the publishing industry. All of those things are kind of my my everyday life now, especially now that I'm full time. And I think that's another thing about you know, I started out with so many books and then it was a little slower for me to publish. I was still working full time. I was still working full time. So I had a crazy schedule where I would work, get off of work um, five or six o'clock, eat dinner, you know, maybe watch an hour of TV. And now it's like, okay, now I need to work on these, on these books where whether it's writing the books or working on marketing, any of that stuff, I literally had to do in the nighttime hours. So from like 9 PM until maybe four or 5 AM, I would work on the books, get one hour of sleep. If I went to sleep, there were a lot of nights I didn't go to sleep and then go to work. And a person can only do that for so long, you know, and then with life stuff as well, it's like, it it can become hard to find the time to write like you used to write. So I'm really excited about finding more of that time um, as I move forward now that I'm full-time and I've been full-time as an author since 2018. Can you imagine yourself doing anything else? Yes. I, I, there are so many things that I love. Um, I love travel. And so if I wasn't a writer, mm, see, it's funny because I would probably be writing travel books. Actually, that's something I wanted to do a travel line like um, Rick Steves. I was like, I'm going to do my own travel line of books, which I can still do. It's still, you know, (laughs) but um, if I didn't do anything concerning writing, it would be travel. And I wanted to, years and years ago, before I started writing, I wanted to create a a series of trips that were kind of like, it might sound corny, but it's okay. Kind of like back to the motherland trips. Like, um, we're not even back to the motherland. They were kind of like Black roots, African diaspora trips. So for example, a lot of the places that I travel to um, have a rich history uh, of, you know, Black, famous Black people did this and this and that, or, or So like Paris, I love Paris and I wanted to do a black Paris tour. So, all right, y'all come on this tour and I'm going to show you stuff. You're not going to see on other people's tours. You're going to see black Paris. You're going to see black Barcelona. You're going to see the hidden, you know, so I would probably be doing something like that. Honestly. Um, Yeah. Those are my two loves writing and travel. And eventually I'm going to find a way to combine the two, whether it's in this travel guide series or one of these trips or retreats. But once I can mesh the two, I'm going to be a very happy girl. <laughs> that sounds like an amazing idea. I would totally buy a black guy to Paris. Like, yes. Yes. All yeah, right. On point. Thank you again so much for, for, uh, man, for taking the time out, for letting me get to know you, um, letting my readers get to know you that, you know, we do, we do this to, bring forth black stories and elevate and uplift black stories black people and and this is amazing 
Thank you so much. And if there's anything I can ever do for you, let me know. If you're even if you're having people that are looking for a beta reader or something like that, I'd be some people in my group who are interested. So I would love to work with you in the future if we see a way that that makes sense. Yes, let's do that. Woohoo! So I'm, have a great evening. All right. Thank All right. you so much. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening to In Conversation with Black and Bookish. If you'd like to learn more about our guest, you can find her at her website, crystalswainbates.com, all one word, or on socials, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at cswainbates. And you can find me, Antoinette Scully, on Facebook and Twitter, at Black and Bookish, and on Instagram, at Black and Bookish Blog. This episode was produced and hosted by Antoinette Scully. Our sound editor is John Scully, and our transcriptionist is Jessica Ludoska. Visit blackandbookish.com to subscribe to future episodes and to learn how to support the show. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed.